I, I think this is extremely appropriate. So turn to 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, and what the subject is, and by the way, this is the title, Suffering with Grace. Folks, you're all going to go through it. At some point or other, you're going to go through it. Whether it's physical, whether it's somebody leaves you and they're, they're not around, you're going to have some kind of suffering. Your child may not turn out the way you want them to turn out. There's going to be some place for suffering. So see this as a message that incorporates all of us. It's, none of us can hide from this. If you became a Christian to have a peaceful, uh, jolly free existence, uh-uh, you came to the wrong place. It's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the reality of what life is. And because of the fall, Romans 5.12, therefore through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and death to all of us, we, we have this sin. And Jesus, because he loves us so much, gives us suffering so that we grow. So that he can show us that he has attention toward us and that we can grow through that. And even through, uh, uh, even Carl's going into the hospital, the emergency room, that's what it's about. That's where our suffering winds up sometimes. So when it comes to suffering, we can all tell stories. Some of you have some tragic stories. Uh, I once met a lady who had been through the Holocaust back in New York City. That to me was like, you got to be kidding, man. She told me some of those things and she still had the number imprinted on her. All of that kind of stuff. That was tragedy. That was suffering. Our tragedies, our situations. You may say, I just want out of this. I want to get out of here. I, I can't go through this. Most of the counseling I do, people come in and they say they want Peace, whatever that may be. I don't know. Peace. But the one uniting message in suffering is that God is sufficient for all situations, no matter what they are. Whether it's financial or whatever it is. No matter the circumstance, He's there if you're His for you. I have uh, been here at Grace Church and doing counseling for over 30 years. The listening to the problems of folks constrained the heart pretty significantly to the very edge, to the breaking point. I'm thinking of these folks that are there sitting in my office and, and all of the things I've gone through and some of those things I'd love to get up and be able to change and, and fix, but I can't. It's an impossibility. As a counselor, I sometimes deal with some of the most difficult of situations some of the most distressing of situations. Some of these are, are like heart-stopping. They, they hurt, folks, and I know they hurt. I feel the hurt. They're heart-wrenching. Like when Mary, and by the way, I've changed her name so you don't know who this is, came in with Doris. I changed her name so you don't know who it is. Mary is a member of our church, and she brought a friend in a friend who didn't attend our church, didn't come to our church. She was trying to figure out why would God take her baby 
one week after it was born. Nothing significantly wrong with the baby. It looked like everything was healthy with the baby. Doris was confused. She was conflicted. She was fraught with a lot of emotion, folks. And you can feel that emotion in the office. That's why I have a lot of Kleenex tissues there. Not just for them, but for me also. Her heart was breaking. She was crushed. As the situation was developing, I could sense that she was probably not going to come back to Grace Church. This would be her only time at Grace Church and coming to my office. She was not a regular churchgoer. She had never been a regular churchgoer. But she was genuinely distraught and sitting there. When I teach the counseling class, and we just started on it last week, so if you didn't sign up for it, you can still do that. But we uh, started the counseling class last week. I tell the students to not just rely on Romans 8.28. You know what that verse is, okay? And we know. That means having a personal relationship with us. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Man, could you imagine if I spit that out on her face? How, how would that go? Well, friend, that is God's truth, isn't it? Of course it's God's truth. I know it. You know it. But has a counselee experienced it truly in their life is the question. I believe every holy inspired word of that truth. How can that be a blessing for someone who is not a believer? How can that be an encouragement when the situation was brought about because of sin? You say, what sin was it? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and he passed it on to all of us. That is the sin. How can that be a comfort for a fellow human being stressed by the trials of life? Folks, what else could you give someone in this particular situation? I do not have a life experience anywhere near this. And, and frankly, even if I did, what would that do? Experience is still going to be different in each situation. Do I say this? Oh, I, know, I got another verse we can throw at her. Consider it all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials, pace a happy face over your face. Does that do the work? You can't put a happy face on tragedy, folks. It's still a tragedy. And my life experience, even if I lost a child, it, it, it's still going to be very little because of the current pain that she's suffering. My friends, the only thing I could think to say was I have absolutely no idea. I have absolutely no idea why God would do that. But I do know this. I trust my God, no matter what. And I was able to take her to the Godhead and, and let her see him as one who could always be trusted, no matter what the circumstances is, no matter what the situation is. I could also tell her about God's word and that he does not tempt even with those kinds of situ situations. 
He does not make you sin because of those situations. James 1.13, you don't need to turn there, but it says there, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God can't tempt, tempt you. He's not going to tempt you. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Some people would say, well, God's trying to tempt me to rebel against him, or God is tempting me. No, he's not. No, he's not. At the same time, we should not try to make apologies for God. Please don't ever do that. You don't have to make apologies for God. He is in the good of life, and he is also in the tragedies of life. His fingerprints are all over them. And some of you could probably even give me testimonies of how a tragedy brought you to Christ. My friends, you have the word of the living God. They are sitting on your lap, sitting in front of you. Some of you may even have it on your cell phone. That is the most compassionate book in the world. It's the most direct book in the world. It's going to speak to you directly each and every time you open it up. This is the story of God sending his own son to die, to settle the greatest problem you have. The greatest problem of all of us on this planet, 7 billion people or so, this is the greatest problem. Your separation from him for all of eternity. That's the greatest problem you have. And he did that. Is he not loving? I don't need to defend God. I really, really don't. His story, the story of the scriptures, is a message of hope. At every turn, it's a message of hope. Do this, come follow me, life eternal. It's just very simple. Very simple. You can even go back to who killed God's son. Acts, you don't need to turn there, 20, uh, 2, 22 and 23. It says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men who put him to death. Folks, that's the predetermined plan of God. He went and took, he, he took it out on his son, if you want to put it that way. He took his own son's life. For what? So he could save you. And he could reconcile you to himself. That's why he did that. So is there good that can come from knowing him? Absolutely. God didn't have to send his son, folks. God didn't have to save any of us. But he did. <laughs> Ephesians 2.1, again, don't turn there, but just jot it down. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Folks, I, I, I know there isn't a person in here that was only slightly dead. Because you can't be slightly dead. Okay, even though they have the walking dead now, you're not slightly dead. You're completely dead in your trespasses and sins. And I've given this illustration before. I don't know if I did it at the conference, but I did my sister's funeral. She was laying right behind me when she was dead with a heart attack. And they asked me to do it. She's Roman Catholic. I have no idea why they, my brothers and sisters asked me to do it. And this is the passage I went to was Ephesians 2, 1. 
and you were dead. And I went, there she is. Can she get up if I yell and scream at her? If I, if I go on for 24 hours, can she get up? No, she can't. And neither can you spiritually. God gave you a gift. That gift of faith, you can see that in the Ephesians passage. He blesses you with that gift, the gift of faith. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. I want you to hear this. There is no need for apologies for God. He is sufficient for all grace and all mercy. It's absolutely incredible what he does for us. Here we were once enemies, and now he's made us friends, children. And the best part about it is when God looks at you, he doesn't even see you. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ who's covering you. So remember that. It's not even your goodness, whatever goodness may be there. He's sufficient. Over and over, we experience the loving kindness of God. I, I read through the Old Testament. I just finished, well, not just, but uh, reading out of the Legacy Bi Standard Bible because I like to read different versions. And over and over again, I keep God, see, seeing God reaching out to the Jewish people, reaching out to the Jewish people, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Do this, do this, do this. And they, and they keep failing, 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 failing. Folks, he does that in each of our individual lives as well. Come to me. Don't keep walking your own way. Don't keep doing things for your goals and your desires and your wants. Make them my desires is what he says. When you were saved, God gifted you with everything that you needed. Can you imagine that? Everything that you needed. You see that in 2 Peter. Again, you don't need to turn there. You can jot it down. 2 Peter 1.3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He gave you all the power that you need in the Christian life. When you were saved, you were blessed beyond what you could comprehend. You can't even understand it. I, I, I mean, I, I'm just flabbergasted. Flabbergasted that God would save me. Why? Why? He's given you wisdom on top of it. And it's sacred wisdom. It's good wisdom. It's holy wisdom. God makes those promises that he's made to us and he keeps those promises. I think of 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Again, you can jot it down. He clearly tells us we have everything we need to speak into the life of the unbeliever or the believer. You've got it, folks. We should never be, we should always be able to give a hope that's within us, right? As a, as a believer, we have this hope. The hope of eternal life. The sinner has no hope. They, they just want to get through the next day. They, they want to get a raise. They want to get a house. They want to get a car. They want to get this. They want to get that. They don't want to get COVID. Okay, okay, it's back on. All right, there we go. See, I said that word. This is offline here. This week, Grace Church uh, had all everybody on staff to have to get fingerprinted. 
And I said, I don't want the DOJ to know where I am. I don't want the FBI to be able to track me down. And they said, we are, they already know where you are. <laughs> so I'll go back to the message so that we don't lose uh, out on that. 2 Corinthians 9a clearly tells us we have everything needed to speak into the life of the unbeliever or the believer. It says there in 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Folks, take advantage of that, speaking to that unbeliever. The counsel from the unbelieving world is to take care of yourself, to make yourself feel better. Build your self-esteem. They say that so often. That's what you need to do. Get rid of your pain. I don't know if you notice, but the advertisements on television, that's all what it's about. Another pill for this, 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 another pill for this. That's why I'm so glad that I record everything before I watch it so I don't have to hear about what I'm not supposed to take. Get rid of your pain. How can you take comfort in something so elusive? You can't take comfort in that. When you were saved, you were given the promise of eternal life. There's nothing better than that. I know there's some preachers saying this is your best life now. Uh-uh. Only if you're an unbeliever is this your best life because the one after this is really bad. Not a life without issues. You're going to have issues, folks. You're going to have pain, you're going to have tragedy, you're going to have suffering. That's what this life is about. And God uses all that. And that's what I'm trying to say is, is the suffering that we have today is going to be used by God to make us complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. That's what he's going to do. Do I look forward to it? No. Do I say, Lord, bring it on? On occasion. Lord, I, I need to be reformed here. I need to be changed here. Yeah. Friends, the trials and afflictions we experience are given as a grace. Listen to that. They're given as a grace from God proving our unique relationship with Him. Now I'm going to have you turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. Try to avoid this. By the way, when you preach, you're not supposed to use all these verses before you get to the actual message, but I did it anyway. Um, my homiletics teacher over there isn't around anymore, so I guess I'm okay. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now, understand what he just said. What's greatly rejoice? You're happy about this. This is good. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Even though you have these various trials... In this you greatly rejoice. Thank you, Lord. Let's have a party. That's what it sounds like. And what does he say? So that the proof, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That trial that circumstance, that situation is going to be used by God to praise Him. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. How do we accept that? Thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. It's like my friend who had his leg taken off 
because he had cancer. And he was praising God. And I said, okay, great. Tell me, why are you praising God? He said, because I've got one foot in heaven. <laughs> I, I, and that, that was, okay, you have one foot in heaven. <laughs> Folks, look at the good things, even in the tragedies that are there. Look at the good things. What is God doing? What is God doing? Our Lord and Savior is about growing us through His grace to become instruments in the hands of a Redeemer for His glory. That's what it's about. It's for His glory. Even the suffering you experience is used by God to grow you in dependence on Him. He wants you to be dependent upon His Word. He wants you to be even dependent upon His people that you can go to them and, and pray with them and, and encourage them even through your suffering. It's not about your suffering. It's about His grace, folks. It's about His grace. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. You don't need to turn there, but if you want to, you can. It says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You see, you become an example through your suffering. And God says, look at what I've done for this one. Look what I've done in this family. Look what I've done here. Look what I've done here. And I, you know, folks, I get to see some of the tragedies and sufferings that you go through, some of the pain. And I'm able to say, God, thank you that you got them through it. God, thank you that you loved them enough to help them through it. The tribulation, their tribulation in Thessalonica became a grace to others seeing how God accompanied them through the trial. Now I am going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. When my dear friend uh, David Verdugo went to be with the Lord, he, we talked about this and we talked about what he, I, he wanted me to preach. I, you know, to, to, have, to have somebody that close that you can talk to him about what uh, he wants you to preach at his funeral, uh, we, we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because he had been a person who went through much suffering. And 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, folks, he was in complete pain all the time all the time. It, 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 it just amazed me. He says, yeah, he's the God of my comfort. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, what Paul is preaching about here is you can take the tragedy, the affliction, the pain, and use it to help others. Turn it around to God's glory. And you can comfort them with that. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And so whatever tragedies, situations we've had, we can use it to help others. Think through it. 
Now, with that lady, I couldn't do that. I, I've never had a, a child that we've lost. And, and, and you know, by God's grace, it, we have never seen anything like that. But I said, God does. He knows. He can help you. He can comfort you. Verse 6, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Folks, I do not believe, or I, I should say, I do believe that suffering is going to come to the church soon. Persecution. I do believe it. You know what? In a sense, I wish I was here for it. But it's coming soon. The, the, the idea of me going to the book of Revelation and studying that, I, my, my wife saw me bring home all of these books and I found out another pastor has 700 books on Revelation. So I'm going to call him up and find out what, which he found was good. Folks, that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. And, and I, I don't mind it at all. I hope you don't. Because that's where God has us going in this whole train. Verse uh, 6, verse 7, And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sh uh, sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. That's what we have to see. God's word is there to comfort us. And David, when he asked me to do this message, he says, Bill, just make this a message of comfort to others, that my suffering is a picture is a picture of what God can do even in the midst of dying. God has a purpose. That's what we have to remember. God has a purpose and he will accomplish his good purpose through your suffering. That is what I could tell this lady. I know you're suffering. I know you're in pain. I, I can hear it. My heart hurts for you. But I know my God, and he can comfort you through this. John MacArthur said this. He said, quote, God has given to every believer abundant grace that is utterly sufficient to fulfill all our deepest longings, our most intense cravings, our most profound needs, every human requirement. Believer, Believe it. That's what you have to believe. He's given it to you. Whatever it is. Now, does that mean that you take your suffering and you go inward? No. No. You can share it with your friends. Now, folks, that was the introduction. Could you now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? That was the introduction. And I'm looking at how much time we have, and I don't want to rush this because I believe this is one of the most potent portions of Scripture about suffering and God's grace to us in that suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7, I'm going to read that whole portion there for you. It says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, 
I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Verse 10, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sakes, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul experienced a lot of those things, folks. I mean, he got stoned and not even California style. And, and he was shipwrecked and he, all of these kinds of things. He had, and he kept coming back, and he kept coming back, and he kept coming back, and kept preaching the gospel, even when he knew he'd be thrown in jail. And preaching the gospel from jail. One time, uh, something had happened, and uh, you know, we jokingly said something in the staff meeting that, you know, if that happens, you'll have to go to jail, Bill. And uh, Pastor John looked at me and says, well, we'll have a better jail ministry. <laughs> Folks, that's what you have to look at it for. If that's where you go, you see it as such, a better jail ministry. Whatever the trial, God's sufficient grace is there for the believer. What I'd like to give us today is three steps, okay? Just so you can get the outline down there. Three steps from Paul's life that will help the believer to conclude that God is good all the time, all the time. These three steps, if I can put it this way, it's like sort of a road to discovery of the sufficient grace of God in all things. That's what it is, a road of discovery to a sufficient grace in all things. The first step is this, the description of the trial. Let's read that once again, the description of the trial in verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul explains to us, as humbly as possible, folks, that he received revelations from the Lord. No one here receives a revelation from the Lord. The only thing you get to do is read the scriptures. That is a revelation, of course. But nobody gets to do that. And Paul is trying to do that as humbly as possible. He, he doesn't want to boast about it. Can you imagine, though, God speaking to you? Could you imagine God saying, Bill? No. I can't even imagine it. I, I think I would vaporize right there. <laughs> I would vaporize right there. As humbly as possible, Paul is trying to say these words. I have counselees, though, who come in and try to tell me that God is speaking to them. I said, oh, really? What language? I mean, at least get started there. Is it Hebrew? No, it's in English. Really? But that's what they, they think they hear the voice of God. I don't know if you've had somebody like that. But I have, unfortunately, had people that try to convince me that God speaks to them. Yeah, I said, just like he spoke to Mike Pence. Remember when Mike Pence was accused of that? He said that he has God speak to him every day. He meant he read his Bible. That's what he meant. He read his Bible. 
these uh, counselees generally have no humility. So how would you expect that God would speak to somebody who has no humility? And God does speak to you and he speaks to you every day if you read your Bible every day. So Paul is here in chapter 12 is telling of this experience with the Lord, but at the same time not wanting to boast about his experience. Verse 7 there, it says, to keep me from exalting myself. You know, Paul doesn't leave that alone. He says it twice. To keep me from exalting myself. He wants to make sure no one would question his reason for bringing it up. He's not bringing it up to be recognized, bringing it up to be boasted about, or anything else. To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Folks, pride so often wants to speak. Look at me. Look at me. Humility is one that is silent, listens. This thorn in the flesh could also be translated as instead of a thorn. By the way, I worked in the garden uh, Saturday, and you can see I got a little bit of a, you know, boo-boo. That's a thorn, folks. That's a thorn. When you translate it from the original Greek, it's a stake that was driven into him. This was a monstrous kind of pole stuck in him. It's a stake. Not a little thorn. This is not some small rose thorn that can easily be pulled out. No, it was a stake driven into him. Much like the stakes that they used to put uh, mortars on, they would attach them to that, that big, big, thick piece of wood. That's what it was. It was more significant in its nature and its affliction. What Paul kept here is, it, it, and Paul says it, it's keeping him from exalting himself. He was given a thorn in the flesh. Some kind of affliction. Whether it was a personal relationship, and I heard one guy say it was his mother-in-law, and I know it's not his <laughs> mother-in-law. But that's what some people have said. But it's a personal relationship that was there. Uh, some kind of malady, some physical malady, something to do with the eyes that's also been brought up. Um, something or someone that was an enemy of the gospel. That's what it was. Speculation is all over the place about this particular affliction. But I personally believe Paul was afflicted by a so-called Christian blogger. Some of you know what I mean. You know why? It says it in the text. A messenger of Satan to torment me. So it's some kind of messenger. Maybe it's somebody on the internet. And they're trying to torment you. Paul has this very distracting, all-encompassing thorn. Enough to make him know that he is nothing before God. Could you imagine being up there in the heavens, being able to meet Jesus and be able to talk to God and all of these kinds of things? He figures out he's nothing before God. And we somehow, somehow think that we are something. I don't know how that is. This affliction came from the Lord. He knows that. 
Why do I know that this affliction came to the Lord? Look at the life of Job. Here's, here's a righteous man, completely righteous. But why don't we turn there just for a minute? Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Job 1, and, and this, is, this is such a, a, a great chapter, plus what follows about the power and the abilities of Satan. He has none if God doesn't want him to have them. But in Job chapter 1, starting in verse 6, Now there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I can't imagine what that looked like. I can't imagine what that looked like. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. You know, that's all he can do. He walks around on it. By the way, he's still walking around on the earth. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. God pinned Job for Satan. Here's this man, righteous, blameless, holy, and, and God points him out to Satan, the greatest enemy that we would have while on earth. Then Satan said to the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. Yeah, God gave Job much. And, and, and Satan's pointing out, oh, you put a protection around him. Verse 11, put, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Folks, if you had everything taken from you, and this is a serious question, would you curse God? Your health? Just say you just took your health. Your wealth? Just say you just took your wealth. Your children? Uh, what else could he take? Oh, your cattle. That's what he took from Job. That's what he took from Job. The response from Job, and we could go through the book of Job, and that would be wonderful too. He didn't complain. He was complaining more about his counselors, by the way. I want you to know that. I love that. You know, I, I once had this conversation with John. He said, we terrible counselors. I said, yeah, they were all bad. They weren't ACBC qualified. <laughs> The first step is the description of the trial. So we see the description of the trial there in, in 2 Corinthians. Let's go back to that 2 Corinthians passage. But I just want you to keep that in mind. The trials, the tragedies, the afflictions come from God. He has a purpose in it, though. He wants you to be more like Jesus Christ. Did, did Jesus have a, an absence of problems on this earth? course not. Rejected everywhere. So step number two is, is Paul's desire to remove the trial. We see Paul's desire to remove the trial. First step is description of the trial. Then we have 
Paul's desire to remove the trial. And here's Paul in 12, 8. He says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. What does he want to leave? He wants the thorn in the flesh, whatever that is. That messenger of Satan to leave him. This thorn, this stake, was given by God to keep Paul from exalting himself. So let's say you have some kind of a messenger from Satan, something that's keeping you from exalting yourself. Is that good? Yeah. Except it is coming from the Lord. That's what you have to be, have to do. Three times Paul asked that that affliction be taken away. Three times he enters into the throne room of grace. No is the answer every time. Ever been there where you prayed over and over and over and over? And you got a big fat no? Yeah, been there been there. You were with us, hopefully, when we went through Matthew chapter 7. Okay? We'll go back to the beginning there. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we uh, had a just a short little passage there uh, of Jesus speaking about prayer, and it says this. In Matthew 7, 7, so you can remember it very easily, 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened huh all you have to do is ask he's going to give it to you right so if you don't ask and you go on to the next thing and knock no he's not there you seek and he's not there that's what paul did and he went to the Lord three times. Now, you would think that somebody who has a, a, a ticket into heaven, a, a person who has a relationship with the risen Christ, would be listened to. And he wasn't. This prayer here says that it was, will be given. It's going to be given. You will find it. The door, it will be open to you. Paul prayed that kind of prayer in order to remove the affliction, but it remained. It stayed there. What's wrong? Oh, Paul must be in some kind of sin, right? Paul must have done something wrong. Is Paul not holy enough? I got to tell you, if Paul's not holy enough, none of us are. Is Paul not in the will of God? Maybe that's it. No, he's exactly where God wants him. Folks, sometimes you get married, okay? And I'm going to bring this up because I know none of you have a problem with this. And that's not the person that you really want to be married to. I know there's nobody in here like that. He said, I made a mistake. I've actually had people come in to me and say, I made a mistake. I said, no, you didn't. You did exactly what God wanted you to do. Marry that person. You go, are you serious? Yeah. He's wanting you to learn the lesson. He's wanting you to grow in that situation. 
Um, <laughs> so many situations like that. This prayer, it'll be given, it'll find, it'll be opened. He wanted that affliction to be removed. Sometimes folks wonder, am I a good person? I go to church, I read my Bible. They wonder at times why they are not receiving the, uh, the removal of that affliction, that pain, or that trial. And they say, why God, why me? And they come to my office and I'm not very nice. I say, why not? <laughs> I do it nicely and I'm not snarky. Okay. <clears throat> I leave my New York snarkiness behind. Friends, there is nothing wrong. God has a purpose in that affliction that comes for Paul, for you, for me. God has a purpose in not answering our prayer the way we would like it answered. We prayed for Donna's aunt for 30 plus years for her to get saved. And, and I mean, this little woman, we talked about it last week, so I can say it again. I mean, she's just a teeny little gal four foot something and keep giving her the gospel keep giving her the gospel and then at 99 I'm, I'm standing in line at a, at a grocery store with her and I said so Aunt Dottie so what, are you, what do you think about the gospel <laughs> what, what do you, have you been listening to the things and she said I believe just like you do I almost fell over <laughs> what does that mean that's that. That was my next word. What does that mean? And she says, I believe that I don't have the works that I used to do for the Roman Catholic Church necessary, that I just have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Oh, man. You almost get to the point where you, don't, you can't believe that that actually would happen, you know? <laughs> What's wrong with me? I am a good person, aren't I? I go to Grace Church. I go to Anchored Fellowship. You know, I must be really good. Friends, there's nothing wrong. God's doing what he wants to do. He has a purpose in that affliction for you. He's wanting to grow you. He's wanting you to become more sharp in your life of, as being a Christian. God has a purpose in each believer's life, and he doesn't miss any of us. So the first step is the description of the trial. The second step is desire to remove the trial. Now the third step is a picture of God's decision to display grace. God's decision to display grace in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul here is explaining a great discovery. Here he sends uh, Paul into an, an an exaltation of God and what God is doing. Paul explains how he is content with his weaknesses that the thorn is producing. Why? Because in Paul's weaknesses, God is displaying his perfect, sufficient grace to Paul. That which is the greatest challenge in our abilities is God's opportunity. Grace. Grace every single moment. Your life is full of grace. Folks, if you're truly saved, your life is full of grace over and over and over. That's how you got out of bed this morning. That's how you got to church this morning. It was God's grace. 
This grace is that which will enable the apostle to endure with gladness the thorn. This grace is that which the Lord will relieve Paul, but not take it away. He'll let you get through it. What an answer to the dilemma of suffering. My grace is sufficient. By the way, that's present tense, meaning it is adequate. His power is being made perfect. Again, in the perfect tense. The verb's placement at the beginning is for emphasis. Completely adequate is basically what the passage is saying. Completely adequate is that grace, and it does not end. It keeps coming and coming and coming. The thorn is still there. Paul continues to be afflicted. His grace, God's grace, is sufficient. You know, folks, I, I like to put it this way. We're looking for renewable powers these days. You know, you got wind and solar and all of this. The one renewable power that keeps coming, grace keeps coming. That's the renewable power that's always going to be there. Solar is not going to always be there. Wind is not always going to be there, plus the turbines fall apart. All of those kinds of things. This is a grace that's always going to be there. That lady I spoke about earlier, understand that God has a grace for all situations. She began to see the calm of her raging heart begin to take place in that office. A grace that can heal the greatest of pain, a grace that is all-sufficient, a grace that even able to save dead sinners. That's what she discovered. That God could use that death of her baby to save her. And that's what I was wanting her to see. She would never have come to a church. She would never have come to a pastor. She would never have wanted to get wisdom. But that's where she came. Friends, in Paul's situation, the text does not tell us what that affliction is. And I do believe that God has purposes in that as well. Because you know what? If you know what Paul's affliction is, oh, that's not the same that I have. That's the first thing you do. But, oh, I, Paul did that. I didn't have to do that. I mean, I can't go. I'm going through that. If we knew the affliction was there, huh, then we would be, ah, it's not exactly like mine. And that we would be able to complain and to moan to make excuses, but God's grace is sufficient. That word that's there is Karis. Uh, my granddaughter, who came for Master's University, today his name is Karis. Grace. Undeserved favor is that word. This is something that only believers can understand. Only something that believers can enjoy. This grace was granted at salvation, continues it, Throughout our journey as believers, all the time, it helps you to grow in your sanctification. Believers understand this incredible mercy that God has bestowed on his followers. Where does Jesus Christ get his incredible power to forgive sins of those he chooses? He does it in the weakness of flesh going to the cross because that's what his flesh did. 
he went to the cross. Again, I'm going to say it, endowment of renewable power, this grace. There's a constant supply of this grace, constant supply of this power. Paul is excited here as he gets to verse 9. He says, I rather boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul is excited because Jesus Christ, and, and if you look at the original language, pitches his tent, pitches his tent, or dwells with us. Isn't that wonderful? I have nothing to worry about. He's there with me, always and forever. My grace is sufficient, is what Jesus says. I wish I had more time, but you know what? Tonight, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Let it be a blessing to your heart, as something to read before you go to sleep. When I do counseling, I can never guarantee the removal of temptation or the affliction. Never, never have. However, I can guarantee this, that dependence on Christ and dependence on his sufficient grace can carry the counselee through their trial. Whatever that trial is, he can carry them through it. Paul understands that abiding, an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ is so much more important than relief. I get people coming in and they're looking for peace. I say, well, you're not going to get it here. This is what you're going to get. You're going to get the scriptures. You're going to get hope. You're going to get a look at Christ and what he's doing in your life. But that's what you have to look at. It may never take it away. That sin may still be alive in you in the sense that you are tempted by it. Yes, an abiding intimate relationship with the Savior is more significant than the removal of the pain of affliction. He is sufficient for all things. When the afflicted begin to recognize the grace of God in their affliction, grace establishes a response of faith. He saved us by faith. He's going to sanctify us by faith. Faith in all that God is trying to accomplish through the affliction, the thorn. The, the thorn is really a gift if you want to know the truth, folks. Could you imagine saying, thank you, Lord, that you gave this to me? Ugh. That's hard to say that. But thank you. Friends, for Doris, who came to my office, she realized the only answer to that heart-wrenching situation was to put her confidence in the fact that only God knew why. He's the only one who knew why. Just hit briefly here for the last part. Paul does not stop there. We see in verses 12, 10, he says this, Therefore I am well content. What? Are you serious? Well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Most of us as human beings don't like to be insulted. Most of us as human beings don't like to be taken advantage of. Most of us as human beings don't want to be persecuted. But Paul says, even in all of these distresses, I am content. Paul is at peace, even in the insults and the distresses. Why? Because he knows that the, the Savior, the Lord, is in his corner. The Lord is going to protect him through all of this help him through all of this. 
You see, knowing that God sent his precious beloved son for your sins should be enough. Marvel at it. God didn't have to save you. God doesn't have to continue to try to sanctify you. He doesn't have to keep calling you like he calls the Jewish nation, come back, come back, come back. But he does. Don't forget that. Three steps. Description of the trial, or the discovery of the trial, the desire to remove the trial, and the decision to display his grace. What a great God we have, folks. I got to tell you, we have a great God. And you need to marvel in that, if nothing else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your greatness, for your love, an outstanding love that's indescribable. Un, un, how, do, how do we even describe it? But it's everlasting. It's going to be for eternity. And we get to enjoy you. And folks, and God, we get to enjoy you even today and every day for the rest of our lives. If there's anyone, Lord, here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would put a conviction on their heart that they would come forward, ask the questions, how can I love him more? How can I know him better? Dear God, work in each of our lives. Continue to form Christ in us to your glory, to your praise. And Lord, also we want to pray for our dear friend Carl. Give him strength uh, through all of this. Joanna, for the family. Uh, Lord God, we know that you have purposes in it. In your name, amen.